you would, please turn in your Bible to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4. As we move our way through this, this book, I just continue to see the wisdom of Solomon. It really is an amazing thing. I remember as a boy, really kind of foolishly, I'd read through, as probably a teenager, read through the book of Proverbs, and I remember going to my dad and saying, Dad, Solomon was so wise. He was so, it was amazing. I mean, he, he was so wise up until at least he, he under, had figured everything out till about the sixties. And then, then he wasn't, you know, then I began to question, you know, well, he, he, the, once the sixties came, in my opinion, boy, we became much more wise. And, and I said that to my dad and I just thought, I think back now, what a foolish statement. Because, I, you know, the 60s were such a revolutionary, you know, everybody's learning and all this, all this new stuff. And I say Solomon understood all of those things. And I think he has grown beyond the 60s. He is a wise man and we can still learn so much from him today. So Proverbs chapter 4, first nine verses this morning. Hear, O son, the instruction of a father and give attention to my, that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forsake nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this precious word. Thank you, Lord, for this book of Proverbs and what we have gleaned from it so far. Lord, may we submit ourselves to its teaching. May we um, apply these things to our life. Apply its thinking to our thinking. Uh, Lord, that we may... Glorify and honor you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Solomon, again, and you hear it, you see some of the same phrases that he has used over and over again almost. And, and he, he's doing it again. He, he is impressing upon his sons the importance of wisdom. You, you say, well, we've heard this time and time again. And he, and he goes through the benefits and it'll make you rich and it'll long life and, and honor and it'll protect you and it'll give you beauty. And we know those things. You say, why is he belaboring this point? And you begin to realize that Solomon is pretty wise. <laughs> he knows. He knows the human heart. Solomon only has really a few years with his son and he knows in his 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, that's a long time. How do you sustain, how do you sustain a love for wisdom? How do you sustain a desire for God's word for that long? Solomon is teaching his son how to think through these things. Now children, they just see the immediate. 
Solomon understands that the heart is, is a rebellious heart. We tend to not listen and we tend to drift. We tend to forget. And Solomon knows that. He's no dummy. And so he's laying these things out for his son now. So impressing upon his son the way to think. And children and teenagers, they tend to look at the immediate. The immediate need. What's right there in front of them. I, I need, you know, kids. I mean, the little babies. They say, I need the passy and I'm going to cry until I get that thing. Or I need the bottle. I need a snack, or I need now the PlayStation, or I need a computer, or I need the cell phone, or I need this car, or I need this job. And then as they grow, it's just immediate needs, what's right there in front of them. And as, as adults, when you become an adult, you realize that children need supervision so that you can see the greater need. There is a greater need than what kids think. What kids really need is an education. Right? So that they can learn and understand and be incorporated into society, be a, a functioning member of society. They need an education and they need to understand the, the bigger picture here. Now, it's hard to understand that when you're hungry. And so you, we have to deal with felt needs, especially with kids. But Solomon is trying to help his son to recognize the greater need that man has is God's wisdom. And we need to get it. Now, my fear is that we are much like our children. We just see what's right in front of us. We see the felt need. We don't see the, the big picture. We, and we tend to hop from need to need. And let me tell you, that is a bottomless pit that will never, you will never find the end. Because there's always needs, there's always more needs. And we, we tend to then just slap a Bible verse and use the Bible as a, a band-aid instead of sustained long-term nourishment. And we forget the, the larger need, we just kind of patchwork. And I'm afraid many of us as Christians go through our lives just putting band-aids on problems by reading a verse and just kind of going on. But most of the time we just adapt to the world's wisdom and we miss the big picture. And we find an endless pit of need, neediness. And it's, I would compare it to trying to take a nap on the Titanic. Now just imagine this. This is kind of crazy, bizarre, but you know, it's at night and maybe somebody was trying to sleep and they hear the commotion outside and they think, I need some rest. So they open their cabin door and they yell out, would you guys quieten down out here? I'm trying to get some sleep. I need some sleep. And somebody says, no, what you need is to get off this boat. The greater need is their life, right? There's greater needs sometimes. And the greater need is the sustained nourishment of the Word of God. The greater need is, is that kind of spiritual growth. When our spiritual muscles, when our faith muscles become strong enough, then all of these other little needs that we think we need, they'll become irrelevant, really, as we grow. But what we need is a long, sustained pursuit of God's wisdom. Now, that's what exactly Moses was trying to get at when he was, uh, when he was writing in Deuteronomy. In fact, the whole book of Deuteronomy, this second law, he's just read, explaining the law to them so that they get it. And he knew, again, the rebellious heart, the, the heart tendency to drift. And here's what he says, and, and I'll just read the passage that I read to you earlier. Just read one verse. He says, only, key, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently. Now, that's a thing. 
We have to keep our souls diligently. We have to watch. We have to guard. And that's what Solomon is kind of doing here. He's, he's wanting to massage that heart there, just to, to wake that heart up, to, to move that heart. Heart, he wants a heart that loves the Lord. Now, hearts are hard to deal with sometimes, right? I mean, we understand physically. We have a defibrillator in the, in the office there. So if you ever have a heart attack, we'll attack you with one of those things. We'll read the instru- I'll try to read the instructions first. And you say, well, I hope I never have a heart attack in this church. You're, you're right. I hope you don't either. And, and our hearts need, but, but some, we, we don't need that necessarily. But, but we do need, like on my cell phone, if I'm reading a, a long article, and if I don't touch that screen every once in a while, it, it, the screen goes dim and then it goes black, right? We need to touch that heart. We need that refreshment from time to time. We, we need to be reminded, this is what is important here. This is what is important. And Solomon is wanting them to see the big picture. And so the whole of chapter 4, Solomon is giving to this appeal to see this big picture. This appeal for long-term, sustained love for God's wisdom. That's what it is. Long-term, sustained love for God's wisdom. We can divide the chapter up into three sections. The first nine verses we're going to look today. And he's appealing to their sense of honor. And what he does is he looks back to his own father's teaching to him. And he appeals to his, his son this, this sense of honor. And we'll look at that today. And there's a legacy that's left behind. But in verses 10 to 19, now you need to see this big picture. From 10 to 19, he appeals to the, his son's sense of caution. And he raises some red flags in the choices that you make. And in doing this, he's looking into the future. So he looked back. Now he's looking into the future. And in verses 20 to 27, he appeals to the son's sense of responsibility and faithfulness long term. And really, that's the key to the whole chapter. You need to understand that. And here's the big, kind of the big picture. God's wisdom is an inheritance I hope you're beginning to see that at Daniel's Bible Church. We, as parents, have a responsibility to teach our children, and that's their inheritance, is God's Word. It's a wonderful inheritance. God's wisdom is an inheritance that must be passed from generation to generation. That's our responsibility as parents. We pass that on. But look, but must also, must be received by each individual person. It's a personal thing. We can pass it on and everybody can just go with the flow, but you have to accept it personally. And that's the idea of uh, Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And the question that he asks is, and just for our application today, is how do we maintain a love for God's Word, a lifelong love for God's Word? How do we maintain that? How do we massage that heart to keep it fresh, to keep it in tune with God's Word? What can we do to help ourselves to see the importance of obtaining wisdom every day when we get up in the morning? How can we do that? Our tendency, we know our tendency. Our tendency is to drift. Our tendency is to say, I don't need that. I've heard that before. Our tendency is to, to just walk away. Solomon, in this first nine verses, he, he looks back. And he's making this appeal to his son. And when we look back, it kind of gives us clarity. And Solomon has a lot of clarity here. 
He has clarity on, on, on the right perspective to have. He has clarity on, that reveals the, the real struggle. And he has clarity on the, that identifies the, the importance or what is really important. Those are the three things that I want to look at. First of all, verse one, here's what we learn. We must keep the right perspective. Solomon looks back and, and he is transferring to his son a right perspective. Here's the way you need to see yourself, son. This is kind of that's what he's doing here. Look at verse 1. He says this, Hear, O son, the instructions of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Now that's what we want. There's all kinds of teaching. But I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. Now, let's just stop right there. The commentaries tell us that this is a lot more formal than some of the other passages. In fact, more formal than the rest of uh, chapter 4. And it's as though it's the, uh, the schoolmaster is calling the, the children in and he is, you may rap on the desk and say, okay, pay attention, listen up. And that's, that's kind of the idea. He says, oh, sons, and it's plural there. Just an indication that there's, it's a, a formal thing. He's getting ready to say something very important to them. And here's what he says. He, he looks back. He's remembering this. When I was a son, when I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said, oh, let's just stop there. Solomon is, again, looking back and remembering his own family and the, the time that he received the word, ultimately the word of God. In this kind of setting, Solomon is, is giving us now what he remembers. And what he remembers is, is who? King David. And he remembers his father, King David, and he remembers his mother, that would be Bathsheba. And when he was little, he says, my father taught me. And what you have here is three generations of kings. And when Solomon is explaining this to his son, his son should sense that weight of responsibility. This is King David. He was the greatest king of all of Israel at that time. Even Solomon hadn't even eclipsed King David yet. And, and so now you have Solomon, and now he's teaching this to his son. The son feels this heavy weight of responsibility. It puts things in perspective. It puts his life in, in perspective for him, this son. Now look back. That's what tends to happen when we look back at, at God's word, when we look back at the intent. And, and you see this appeal to family honor. You see this appeal to obligation. Here's responsibility. And this is, this is a wonderful picture of God's intent for the family. That's what it is. This is God's intent for the family. This is the way the family is supposed to function. God's uh, parents make the, the best teachers because they have the most love for their children than anybody else. I can love your children as a pastor. But nobody loves your children like you. You are the best parents. You are the best teachers. And it needs, the information needs to be passed on in a caring, loving environment like the home. And we can in, impress upon them education, not just moral education. I know that that, that kind of is, is the idea that we think, well, just try to correct them morally. But no, no, this is God's wisdom that we're transferring. 
We're implanting in their little hearts truths from God. And that's the the channel in this family relationship. That's the channel of, of love and affection and information. And they go hand in hand. And that's just the best environment. It is. Best environment. Now, let's just apply this quickly. We have inherited, we have inherited, if you are a believer of In Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you have inherited the word of God. You have inherited God's wisdom. And you have a responsibility to pass that on. I don't care if you have children or whatever. You have that responsibility to pass it on. Be it discipling someone. You have that responsibility. And sometimes I think we need to look back and and remember, remember... That sense of responsibility, that sense of honor. This is what we do. I have a responsibility to teach. Now, that leads to another application here. Fathers, are you instructing your children? Now, you knew that was coming. That was in here. Are you instructing your children? What I found myself doing is just saying to myself, oh, I will just live out a good example to them. And they can follow my example. I don't have to say anything. And guys, that's just not the pattern that we see in Scripture. I wish it was, because that is so much easier. I don't want to have to open my mouth and teach. But David could have done that. He had many people that could have taught his son. But listen, by this time in David's life, his other sons, I don't know if he did that with his other sons. But this son, that's what he did. He sat down and taught them. David's other sons were pretty rebellious guys. But he sat down and he taught this son. We have a responsibility, fathers, to have those conversations with your, with your children as they grow and, and give to them the best things. Not just good and evil. You, you're, you're presenting to them the best things, the wisest things, the truest things from God's Word. You're giving them the best values. You're giving them the best priorities to have. And men, that's the biggest responsibility that you have is to, to leave that legacy to your children, pass that legacy on or pass that inheritance on that you have been gained, that you have gained, you pass that on to your children. And it falls on your lap. Parents in general, specifically fathers. Also, just another word of encouragement, that it's never too late. It's never too late. I, I'm beginning to realize, and I, I'm, I see my own flaws, and I look back at my own children, and I think, man, is it too late? And I think, you know what? I need to go back, and I need to correct this thinking. I need to show them this. I need to point to this passage. I need to do more. I need to do more. It's never too late. We can always start now. But we have that sense of responsibility. We have that uh, obligation that's the right perspective of your life. You are to be a teacher, teacher to that next generation. So he looks back. He has this right perspective. Number two, here's another point of application that we can have for our own life. When we are sustaining a love for God's word, we must understand the real struggle. Now he's getting down to the heart of the matter. The end of verse four, he says, This is what he taught. This is what David, King David, taught to his son, Solomon. Here's what he says. He says, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forsake nor turn away from 
the, wisdom, the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you, love her, and she will watch over you. This is what he says. Now, he gives right away, you notice there's a lot of commands. Five commands right off. Just bombards the heart. Five commands. Do this, do that, do this. He says, let your heart hold to. Keep my commandments. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. uh, Do not forsake. Love her. Now, you begin to see what he's doing here. And he's contrasting it. So he gives all of these commands. Now, what does the heart do? What does the heart do when it's receiving a command? It kind of flares up. I don't want to. You can't tell me what to do. But he even rubs it in a little bit. He says, my words, my commandments, my mouth. What is he doing? He's addressing a heart. A heart that that would tend to drift, that would be somewhat rebellious. And he says, notice, and I love this, he says, my commandments. And his commandments are equal with the wisdom that he's saying search for, seek after. They're, They're one and the same because David's commandments were from God. And so is Solomon's. And so he's teaching his son. And now he don't ju- he doesn't just give commandments. He, he gives some benefits and he gives some encouragement. He says, guard her and watch over her. Don't forsake her and love her. And she will guard you and she will watch over you. That's some encouragement. But that's after he has already given these commands. Now, what are we? What am I getting at here? Solomon understands. That he wants his son. He understands he cannot go through life with his sons. I'm learning that. As a father. I wish I could. I wish I could just go and hold my son's hands. All five or four of them. And my daughter's hands. I wish I could go and hold my children's hands. All through life. But we can't. We know that, right? We have to transfer this information. What Solomon wants is for his son to own this. He wants his son to have these convictions. He wants his son to love God's wisdom. He says, love her. Hold on to her. Prize her. Those are are things of the heart. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to understand. This is an internal struggle. This is where all of us struggle, folks. All of us struggle. It's an internal struggle. Your word, Solomon's word, David's word against the son's desire, against the son's heart. What has to happen is submission. The problem is right there. That's where the problem lies, is within the heart. And and there's this struggle. Will I obey or will I rebel? And Solomon realizes that he is limited He can only impress. He can only encourage. He can only show the benefits. He can only do those things. Now, we we understand this. When your kid is starting out in soccer or basketball, whatever sport they're playing, and they're they're just three years old, four years old, you can pick them up, right? Take them into the soccer field. Okay, you stand right here. If that ball comes, you kick it, right? That's what we do. They just stand. But the older they get, what do they have to do? You can't go, it kind of looks silly for me to take my 16-year-old, okay, stand right here. We don't do that, right? We coach from the sidelines. And when they come off the field, here's what you need to do. You need to do this. And then push them back into life. And you bring them out and you coach them and you, you push them back in. We're limited. 
We cannot go onto the field with them. We cannot go through life and, and hold their hand. And we, under, we have to understand that, that limitation. All we can do is appeal. Now, that's an internal struggle. And parents, you need to understand that. But what we're trying to get at is the heart. Now, that's the second struggle. The second part of it is this, this is also a spiritual struggle. This is a spiritual struggle. Nothing more, nothing less. This is against, this is rebellion uh, or, or submission. The son must be willing to submit. There, there is that. There has to be that. Son, this is important. They need to see this. So it's an internal thing. It's a spiritual thing. Now, let's just apply this quickly. If I say to you, and I, I, I do this, I, I have people that, you know, stop by the church. Oh, I want to come to church. I want to come to church. You know, I'm going to get back in the church and all this. And Okay, well, but I don't have a car. I, well, I'll come and pick you up. I'll come and pick you up. So I, I drive by. You know, it's between Sunday school. I'll usually teach Sunday school. And then between uh, Sunday school and church, I try to run. I pick them up and I come back, right? That's the way it's supposed to work. I get there. And no, uh, no one answers the door. I call. And, oh, oh, yeah, was that today? And they're, they're asleep. They're asleep. And what does that tell me about internal? If I have to just go and every Sunday, I have to coax them out of bed, get them dressed, and get them here. What does that say about their love for the Word? There's no real love for the Word. There's no love for God's people. There's no love for the church. It's not just, in, it's not just external motivation, folks. I can, as a pastor, I can only do so much. There has to be internal motivation from you. There has to be a love for God's Word. A love for God's church. A love for God's people. There has to be that. just has to be. Now let me tell you, if you love, well, let me say it this way. No love for God's Word. And there's really no love for God. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There has to be. And that's what I, I look for in people is some, some type of internal motivation. Do they really love the Lord? Are they really committed to this? And I'll go a few times, but after a while, you know, you have to, there has to be some spark there. And when we're dealing with our children, that's what you want, folks. That's why we train the heart. That's why we, uh, and, and there's emotions involved in that. There has to be spark that heart. And we ultimately are dependent upon God. We recognize that. Let me give you another application to this. Is that when we are given the Word of God, when we're given the teaching of God, it comes with authority. Now, now think about that. When I give out the Word of God, when your parents gave you the Word of God, or whoever gave you the Word of God, it must come with authority. Because it's not their Word, it's God's Word, right? So it automatically comes with authority. That's one of the reasons I have a problem with women teachers teaching or preaching. Because they come with the authority of God's Word, and, and they are not to have authority over man. It's just the bottom line. Because the Word of God comes with authority. God's Word speaks and we must obey. That's the bottom line. It's God at work here. God is speaking here. Not, not man. Not just David. Not just Solomon. Not just you as a parent. So know that. Understand that. These are serious matters. We are targeting the heart. That is where the real struggle is, folks. Is in the heart. 
And we are, we are trying to reach the heart of our children. Trying to reach the heart of our children. And also, we, we want the heart of our church. We can go through, we can go through motions. We can do this and do that and do the other thing. But you have to have a heart for God. You have to have a heart for God's word. There has to be some internal motivation. Let's go on. That, that's where the real struggle is. It's a spiritual struggle. It's an internal struggle. It's a struggle in the heart. Number three, we must narrow down what is real, or what is really important. Solomon, he, uh, he looks back and he uh, shows them their sense of responsibility. Next, he uh, narrows down the, the real struggle, the real struggles in the heart. And then he points out, here's the real important thing. Here's what the matter is. In verse 7, it says, the beginning of wisdom is... You're expecting something great. Okay, here it is. And he says, acquire wisdom. And it's a little anticlimactic. And you find that, that this little phrase is in the Hebrew. They tell me that it's a very complex little phrase. And the meaning is, is kind of hard because it, it's redundant even in the Hebrew. It's not lost in translation. It's a hard... But you know what? Everyone came to the same conclusion. We understand what he means. It's a little slogan. It's like the, a Nike commercial. Just, just do it. That's what he is saying here. The beginning of wisdom is just do it. Apply yourself. Apply yourself. One commentary said, oh, I love this. It doesn't take brains. It doesn't take opportunity to possess the best uh, schools. It just takes decision. It takes a decision to go after it. I'm going to commit myself to pursue wisdom. First step of pursuing wisdom is determination to obtain wisdom. That's what Solomon's getting at. There's an internal drive in this young man to understand what God has in store for his life and what God's responsibility is for his life. And then it has to come down to his decision. The primary goal of life is what are you going to do with wisdom? We see in the New Testament, though, that, you know, it's just amazing to me, the wording of the New Testament. Jesus, it was said of Jesus that he became flesh. And what are the, what's the title that he gave to Jesus there? It's the Word, the Word of God. He, he, he became to us the Word of God. He became the messenger from God to us, and He was, he was the Word. And what do we have to do? We have to accept Christ. There's a decision that has to be made. Solomon wants them to have a personal choice to receive God's wisdom and to pursue it their entire life. Now, parents, we can transfer the information to the next generation, but that generation has to accept it. And they have to apply it. They have to do it. There has to be internal motivation. You can't just pull the strings like a, a little puppet and cause them to do this or do that. No, there has to be something internal. And let me tell you, a double-mindedness is essentially rejection. There has to be a decision that is made. Let me tell you some hindrances to this decision. Just a couple. Number one is we already think we're wise. We already think we're wise. Oh, I don't, I don't need that wisdom. Or, you know, it's just practical everyday living. You know, I already got that figured out. I don't need that anymore. 
Folks, we have to be careful. The, the, the worst of generations is that generation who thinks they know everything. Number two, let me ask you this just by way of application. How many things are more important to you than the Word of God? What else is more important to you than God's wisdom, God's advice, God's counsel in your life? What's more important to you? Folks, we're passing on uh, an inheritance to our children, and it's the Word of God. We're passing it from one generation to the next generation. And we need to understand that that generation, there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake, and we'll see that further on. There's a lot at stake, but that generation has to accept it individually. And you know what? That would apply to us as well. If you're young enough, you know, I remember going through this when I was when I was in my 20s. It had to be me. I can't ride on my parents' coattails anymore. Or my grandfather's coattails. It had to be me. I had to take the word of God seriously. I had to live these things out. I had to have the love for God's word. Let me just apply this. Satan loves to pit one generation against another. He loves to do that. He loves to cause the tension. He loves to see the rebellion. He loves to see children walk away. He loves to see parents who, who say, well, I'm not going to teach them anything. They're going to have that attitude. He loves to see that. That's a, that is from Satan. And there's a danger, folks, of detaching ourselves from the previous generation. We have to be careful of that. Especially, especially if we just you know, detach ourselves and we go off to university and we think we know everything. We have to be careful. Another point of application is, do we really seek truth? Do we really seek God's word? Do we really seek God's wisdom? Is TV more important to us? Is the blogs more important to us? Is our work more important to us? What's more important? What's more important to us? Our inheritance, folks, is this word. We have a responsibility to know it, to live it out, to understand it, and proclaim it to the next generation. Next generation. Do you love God's word? Or are we just jumping from felt need to felt need and not really addressing the heart, not really getting into the wisdom of God's word? What has God said? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I I pray that you would use this word to penetrate our hearts, to help us to have a spark within us, to love your word, pursue your word as though it were our very life. As Solomon said, it it is his commandments, but it's commandments for our life, for our life. Keep my commandments and live. Lord, may we do that. May we not play fast and loose with the word of God. May we understand it. May we seek it our whole life. May may there not be a day that goes by that we are not reading it, thinking through it, meditating, and applying it to our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.